Hello and welcome to the Wedding Dish Podcast. Grab your fork and knife and take a seat at our table as we dish on all things weddings. You'll hear stories and tips from real couples and wedding pros about love, life, and entrepreneurship. I, of course, am Sarah Alipin, your host on The Wedding Dish and CEO of Photos from the Hardy and District Bliss. And today I have our little French bulldog, Bud, refusing, Clouseau, refusing to look at me in his podcasting chair. He, I think, might be a little bit jealous that I've been bulk recording this morning. <laughs> And I'm clearly not giving him enough attention. Um, so I'm really excited to dish today with our guest. Um, we're going to be talking about the real cost of micro wedding photography, which is something that I think there are a lot of. Um, there's a lot of like just a little bit of unsure, uh, lack of clarity for for clients out there who are getting married or um, couples out there who are getting married. So um, today we have a hybrid wedding photographer who captures weddings across upstate New York, Boston, Cape Cod, love that area, and Newport, also love that area. Um, the human behind Lynn Resnick Photography. Lynn Resnick, thank you so much for being here with me on The Wedding Dish today. Oh, thank you for having me, Sarah. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have you here um, for a couple reasons. I mean, obviously, this is a great topic, but also I saw that you are a former high school or that. Uh, oh my gosh, I just got too excited! A <laughs> former high school teacher, and I am also a former high school teacher. Oh my gosh, no way! Yes, I love that. I was high school history. What did you teach? <laughs> I taught darkroom photography. <laughs> Oh, so fun and much more direct to what we're doing now. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but it's so fun. It just like makes my heart happy. I have such a special spot in my soul for teachers. Like they're just the, they're the best. And um, yeah, I just, I, I think that might, might be one of the many reasons we hit it off immediately. <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so fun. Yeah. I, I love, obviously I miss the classroom a little bit because I love being able to come on podcasts and share information and stuff like that. So the educator in me is, gets a full heart when I get to do stuff like this and uh, right? it's so fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love it. I've actually, um, I, my first wedding, like full wedding of the season is my former student's wedding. Ah, full circle. I photographed a former student last year for the first time. One, I felt so old. <laughs> but two, it was super, super fun. I didn't have him as a student in particular in my class, but he was at the school um, the first year that I was at that school. He was a senior. So we overlapped and he like knew who I was when he reached out. And it was just so, so fun to to capture his wedding and just to see other people from the school and that's going to be such a blast. I love it. Yeah, I'm really excited. It should be. It's just going to be lovely. Um, so tell me, why did you start Lynn Resnick Photography? Yes, and leave the classroom, right? Yeah. I mean, it must have been a hard, hard sell to leave the classroom, but obviously for great reasons. Yes, yes. I, I loved teaching, but I did quickly come to learn that I was not going to be a 30-year veteran teacher because I wanted... I poured so much into it. I'm sure you felt this too. Teachers just pour so much into that, that I couldn't imagine doing it for that long and not burning out completely on it. And I didn't want to hate it when I left it. Like I wanted to leave on a high note and I wanted to keep loving it, which I got to do. So I originally got into photography and really just discovered what a 
craft and an art wedding photography had become when Scott, my husband, and I were planning our wedding. So that was in 2008 that we got married. And I really discovered you know, how the digital age had impacted wedding photography because I had my parents' pictures in my head, you know, and got into it from there. I quickly got a DSLR camera after that and just started experimenting and playing. And then I was really lucky that my wedding photographer was local and took me on as a mentee, basically. Oh my gosh. And I got to learn on the job with her and was perfect for teaching because I had a side hustle for a long time. So I didn't have to leave the classroom while I was learning. Weddings picked up in New England over the summer. So I was able to go with her on a bunch of weddings on weekends. And during the summer, I worked in her studio and learned the back end there. Just got like a ton of experience that way and decided I was just growing more and more passionate about it. And we moved from Hartford to Boston right after I officially launched my business. So I was in business for a year as a side hustle, like really thinking I want to do this and I like it. And then we moved to Boston and I left the classroom. That was my transition out, but I stayed in an educational nonprofit. Um, But meanwhile, I was just building my business and it eventually got to a point where I was feeling this pull for the passion shifting a little bit to want to be pursuing that and doing photography, having more energy for it, you know, than besides nights and weekends. And so it came down to a now or never kind of thing. Am I going to take this leap or not? And went full time in 2017 and haven't looked back. But yeah, my, my own wedding was what originally got me into it. Wow. And then the move must have made it like a little bit easier to leave the classroom itself because sometimes it's hard to make that jump. Yeah, it was definitely the impetus for going, okay, do I want to have to go and get recertified to teach in Massachusetts? Oh my gosh, yeah. Those hoops, or am I transitioning out? It kind of made the choice for me. Like, okay, I am ready. It's been a decade. I did teach for 10 years. So I had a good, I had a good career in that. I really loved it. And it was a nice, natural opportunity to transition into something different. Yeah. That makes total sense. Oh my goodness. Well, let's dish about micro weddings. You ready? Yeah, let's dive into it. All right. So, um, I many of us probably know this out here, but I have recently become aware that we use a lot of wedding jargon, and uh, not everybody knows what it means. So, Lynn, can you tell me what a micro wedding is? <laughs> I feel yes. very silly asking. <laughs> No, it's so it's such a fair question and I feel like we do that all the time to like to couples, to new vendors, to each other. Just we talk in abbreviations and codes yeah. sometimes. So just for everybody out there, just so we're on the same page, I think it's great to start with that. I view a micro wedding as an intimate wedding celebration with 30 or fewer people. I think different people would cut that off at different places, but I think usually when we talk micro wedding, we're talking about all in total guest count of 20 to 30 people generally. And um, that's what makes it micro. It's just the size of your guest list getting smaller. Got it. Okay. So um, versus a traditional wedding, a micro wedding, there's typically no difference between the two other than the, the guest list size. I think that's the main thing. And this is where Uh, where we're going, I think, with this conversation, which I'm so excited for, because there can be differences. I know in 2020, I did eight micro weddings, and they had several different forms. But a lot of them were basically full wedding days, where a lot of all those traditions from getting ready through the first dance, 
portraits, all those things happened. It just happened with 20 people there instead of 150 people there. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Um, and I'm glad we're having this conversation because it is, it, it's kind of, um, it's hard, it's hard to know a lot of these answers. Um, so let's jump into um, what kind of investment can couples expect for their micro wedding photography? What does that look like? Yeah, I love this. So I, think you need to expect that it's going to look really close to what you might pay if you were still having that 100, 150, 200 person wedding for the photography. Now, there might be other areas where you're saving because you have fewer people, but for the photography itself, if you're planning that day, like I just talked about, where you really want photography of getting ready through the you know reception dinner and maybe your first dance and toast and all of those things... You should expect to pay pretty close to whatever that photographer charges for a, quote, traditional larger wedding. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, you know, I was, I was trying to think of, like, what would make it easier um, for the photography purpose. And it's really, I mean, it is essentially the same for us, except with the maybe exception of, like, some of the group photos, um, right. Like maybe there will be one less family or friend photograph. <laughs> right. Or those big extended family ones because there's only so many people there. So you could do that one shot of the whole group, like literally your entire wedding party. But yeah, so if you think about those traditions that people like photographed, and this happened for me a lot with my couples for 2020 when they pivoted to micro weddings, I still was there for six to eight hours for most of those days, which is I my base collection is eight hours. I don't know about you, Sarah. Is yours similar? Yeah. So like the minimum tends to be six and yep. usually average is eight. Yeah. So that's, you know, right where we would normally be anyway. And the reason that I think people think about the number being smaller so that our numbers, our investment should be smaller, that just doesn't match up for us because what matters and impacts our coverage for you is how many traditions you want to have. So when I say like traditions, I'm talking about what things do you want photographed over the course of the day. And so for example, one of my couples, we I was there for a full eight hours. We did getting ready for bride and for groom. So those portraits of the details first, styling their invitation suite, styling their, her shoes and details, each of them getting, getting the full like makeup regalia, you know, cufflinks, bow tie, et cetera. They did a first touch. So we had that moment in that tradition. The bride did a reveal moment with her dad. All those things add time to that getting ready portion. We rolled into a ceremony. They had the full 30-minute, 35-minute ceremony on the beach. We rolled into formal portraits with their wedding party members who were present, with their family who were there. They had a whole cocktail hour that I stayed and covered. We did a whole dinner with toasts. They did their first dance. And then we transitioned into like an after party with a sparkler transition to a fire pit on the beach. But that was a full eight-hour day that they had me for. And if you want all those traditions covered, they just take time. And that's where that day of cost is going to be built in. It's in the time. And you can hear from all those things, right? Most of those, it doesn't matter. Actually, I don't think any of those. It doesn't matter how many people are there because no. those traditions are all still happening. 
Yes, yes. And it takes, you know, that's then budgeted into the number of photos you're taking, whether or not you can take a break um, to like sneak off to the bathroom or whatever and take care of yourself, get some water. Um, but, you know, it breaks down the cost is generally speaking going to be the number of photos taken um, in that in that time, you know, you're kind of because that's how it sort of uh, jiggers. I'm I'm very sloppily moving through this conversation. <laughs> No, you're good. No, I, I mean, I agree with you. It is because it does correlate those hours. It's not just the hours because that's the other thing, right, that maybe couples aren't thinking about is that when they hear or they have sticker shock for photography, they're thinking, well, it's eight hours. How on earth am I, are you justifying this price tag for eight hours of work? But that is not the case at all. And we know that as photographers, there's the whole lead up, which we can talk about more, which is the planning process beforehand. But there's also those photographs that we've now taken that need to be turned into finished products. And we have an aesthetic that we're looking for. We're going to touch every single one to color correct and to crop and to straighten and to make sure they look their best. And so we're talking about well, I don't know. For me, it's way too long, basically. <laughs> In hours spent, uh, you know, probably a full work week worth of hours spent on an eight hour wedding, getting all of those photos ready for final delivery for a couple. So we're talking about that's a 40 hour work week plus whatever that the eight hours we spent on site just in the editing process after alone. Yeah. I mean, calling, going through, making sure that you get all the photos that are in focus and where they, you know, they look great and delivering those. And then, um, you know, maybe like cropping slightly differently if you think these two photos are both really great, but you want them to look a little bit different or, um, you know, you know, it's, it, there's a lot that goes into it for sure. And I think you broke that out really, really well. I think that's very helpful in, um, in kind of understanding the photography process because because um, the back end is truly where we spend the most time. Absolutely. Yeah. It's something that you don't see. So you don't, you don't think about, although I know people are probably starting to hear about it. If they had friends who got married last year, it was a pretty wild year. I think in terms of a lot of weddings starting to happen again, as the country opened up and this year is set to be, everyone's talking about this record year in weddings, etc. But with, those increased workloads and with the weddings that are happening, the turnaround times are getting longer for a lot of photographers because we really want to be able to deliver on time. But it's just so much that goes in on that back end. So it might be six, eight, 12 weeks I've been seeing some people have. And that's not because we're not working on them. It's because we are. And there's just so much that we want to do to make sure that we're putting forth something that meets our standards and our aesthetics so that our couples are happy. Exactly. And we were talking a bit offline about this, but, um, you know, your eyes get tired and they start to not see color in the same way. So um, especially I'm sitting in a room right now filled with natural light. So as the day changes, I actually have to get up and leave my computer because um, my I have essentially like southern the sun moves from one window to the other window. Um, oh yeah, the diagonal corner between the two windows is the southernmost point in the house. Um, so it actually like changes the way your your eyes are reading color and light and things. So you um, you have to actually like get up and leave the computer for a short period of time or you need a break because otherwise you'll realize like the color is slight, the white balance is slightly shifting uh, and you're like, 
the skin's looking kind of blue. How long have I been sitting here? And then you go back and you're like, oh, dang it. All right, let's take a break, put it away for a bit, and then come back to it later. Yes. And then start with revising, re-editing all those ones that you didn't realize your eyes were getting so tired for to begin with. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And because you don't want a a set of photos where like you're progressively getting slightly more, and maybe it's only a fraction. Maybe you wouldn't notice um, if you weren't the photographer, but we're not going to deliver something that isn't up to our standard. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, like you just said, I think that's a good point. My husband's like that all the time. I'm like, oh, this is driving me crazy. Look at this this version or this one, or like this is slightly more green or yellow or magenta or whatever. And he's like, they look exactly the same. I don't know what you're talking about. So I think we can get make ourselves a little nutty with that, but it is, it's what we're paid to do, right? And it's what our expertise is in. And that's, it's important. Like we, you can't ignore it. Once you see it and know it, you have to fix it. You have to adjust it, right? And be yeah. quality yeah, and, for sure. And if I can't, if I just can't see how to fix it in that moment, I start in a different way and then I come back to it later with, yep. <laughs> with all the other ones I couldn't figure out how to fix in that moment. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I love it. I could talk to you about this all day because it's just, it's so nice to be able to kind of like um, share, have like a shared experience. Yes. Hashtag like photographer life. Right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Absolutely. So shifting gears a tiny bit, um, why I know that you do a lot of of support of your clients before the actual wedding um, and and nurturing them through this process. And I'm curious, you know, well, why is the the nurture part in the planning process so important to your photography? Yeah, to the to photography, but then also to the, the investment that the couples are making, I feel like that is an important, another important part of the investment that they're not necessarily thinking about that when you sign a contract eight months, a year out, we start working together, at least for me, right? The communication starts, the support starts, the check-ins start. And so it's, again, all of that advanced support and preparation and guidance and resources. And the, that time is part of that investment. And that doesn't change again, just because you have fewer people at your celebration. So just something to keep in mind in the context of the micro wedding in general. But yeah, for for the support and those processes, I just look at it as part of it's the educator in me, right? And the teacher in me. But the other thing is at this point, I've done over a hundred weddings. I've guided over a hundred couples through this process. And a lot of the couples I'm working with are doing this for the first time. And this is a new process for them. And just by nature, that means that I have a lot more experience and expertise than they do that I can share to help make it smooth, um, make the process easier, ease some of the stress. You know, it's a really exciting time, but it gets really stressful really quickly as you're trying to manage a million decisions and you have to kind of figure out all of these things in the day and all of the vendors you're going to work with and manage your family dynamics and all of those things. So if there's anything that I can do to support and ease those stresses and make, you know, them get ready for a nice stress-free fun celebration, I want to do that. And then the other side, the logistical side, I think is that when there's not a planner in particular, and I love working with planners and it makes this job a little bit easier on my end too, because a planner will take on the timeline and the logistics. 
but photography, the timing is important. Where the light is when, where the sun is when, are we going to do natural light photos outside? What do I have to light? I want to make sure my couples are aware of that and then also have the time they need for the photos they want in the day while also being able to celebrate with their loved ones in the places that are most important. So some couples really want to be at every minute of their cocktail hour, and we're going to talk through what that first look needs to look like, what portraits need to happen before the ceremony so they can get to every single second of their cocktail hour. Some couples don't care about that as much, and they're They'd rather wait and not see each other first. They want that traditional ceremony reveal. And so we'll talk through that. But that timeline planning is really important for photographers, just as it is for the couple, to make sure that we get what you want out of those memories and portraits for the day. Yeah, I I agree. And it sounds like you invest in getting to know your couples. um, And I suspect that that is partially because you're creating a custom experience for each of your couples, like so that they can get the photos that are important to them and represent their day, their relationship, their story, um, as opposed to like a generic cookie cutter kind of rinse and repeat photography style. Right, exactly. I mean, that's always my goal. And also just comfort level. The more that we get to connect and know each other ahead of the day, the more it feels like I'm a friend showing up with camera in hand. (laughs) And that comfort level is there from the start. And if they can be more comfortable, more at ease, their just natural personalities shine through. It's easier to just be authentic, to live in those moments and be less aware of the camera all the time, be more present in the day. And that's where I think a lot of that magic happens. So I'm always trying to cultivate that comfort from the start as well. I love that. That's really, that's so important and something I think is very, um, maybe not undervalued, but underknown um, when you're booking your photographer, but just so, so important. I'm 100% here with you. We're with you for more of the day than even your partner in a lot of ways. So you want to make sure that we click together well, because we're going to be there for those intimate moments during getting ready. We're going to be there for all those pieces. And so you want to make sure the personalities vibe really well and that you get along with this person. You can imagine them as a friend in the room with you, not just be a fan of their aesthetic. You know, I think it really does need to go beyond that. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Um, Well, on that note, we are going to take a very quick break on The Wedding Dish and we will be right back with Lynn Resnick. And we are back on The Wedding Dish. I, of course, am Sarah Alipin, your hostess with the Moses today. And I am joined by Lynn Resnick of Lynn Resnick Photography. Um, And we're talking about micro weddings and kind of photography in general and the investment and what goes into the day and some of the things to think about as you're booking your photographer, choosing your photographer. Um, So thank you so much, Lynn, for being here today and sharing your expertise. This has been a great conversation. It's been so much fun. So what pieces of the wedding day play a role in pricing for photography? And I realize this goes outside of just the micro wedding, but we can talk about the micro wedding and, you know, photography and wedding photography in general. Yeah. So I talked about this a little bit when we were thinking about those traditions. And I I know for me, one of the bigger questions is usually... For, for any wedding is when are we starting and when are we ending and what kind of coverage does that provide during that time? Um, so a lot of my couples 
opt for that earlier time for getting ready because they really want the, the preparations portion of the day, some of those details. They want to do those natural light portraits and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think what, when we're talking about those traditions, it's really thinking about even just small things from getting ready. You have those big chunks of the day, getting ready, a first look if you do one, the ceremony, your cocktail hour, dinner, reception. So those are the chunks. And it's if you're going to do all of those during a micro wedding, you're still looking at a full day's coverage for photography and therefore a full day's cost for photography. More detailed in there to think about, I guess, would be, you know, when do you want that person, your photographer to start and how many traditions during getting ready are you going to do? That's one of those times I feel like is filling up with more and more moments and shots that people want. So there's gift exchange or note exchange between a couple. There's a, you know, a bridesmaids reveal potentially when you're fully ready or a parent reveal or a toast that you might do and pop champagne or, you know, whiskey or something like that. Um, you might do some portraits in robes or pajamas for the girls. You see that a lot, you know, before they actually get into their dresses and none of that is actually getting ready. That's like, I am ready and I'm having these reveal moments or we're toasting and we're, you know, making these moments happen. You still have to then get into your look for the day. You still have to don all your final touches, whether that's jewelry and shoes or, you know, cufflinks and tie. So knowing those things and communicating with your photographer about them is, is important because if you're adding in all of those things, they need to add time into when they start in the day to make sure you can do those things before you have to head out the door and get married. <laughs> yeah. And if you, I mean, even like, um, there, there are a lot of little pieces that we've added into other parts of the day too, like, um, incorporating your dog into, um, some photos with the couple. And, um, we, we see that a lot. I'm sure you see that a lot too. Yes, and I love um, it. I, love I know, <laughs> I know me too. Me too. Obviously as yeah. mine sits here, still refusing to look at me. <laughs> To that end, that's it's such a good point because you do need they just take time. You can't you can't rush a pup through portraits. So it's important to have that little cushion built in for when are they coming in for their portraits? How is that all gonna work? Do you have someone who's you know working with them and and giving more time for those to unfold? Because it is an added element for sure. It's a great one. Yeah, and it you know it's very important to the couples who want to have their their animals included. I mean, I suppose you could also harness a cat and bring a cat, or if it's in your backyard or something. Um, but even if you're just stealing inside to go take photos with your um, indoor pet, um, for lack of a better way of describing that, it could be a peacock if that if that's what you have living in your house. Um, but you know, even just stealing away for that couple of moments. Um, you're, that all of that just takes time and you don't want to end up then rushing or trying to invent time later because we don't have, oh my gosh, um, a cat, I think just popped out behind Lynn. Did that just happen? Yes. 
Yeah, she just woke up. I didn't know if you could hear her. I was about to mute myself in case you heard her. She just woke up from her nap. (laughs) Is she eavesdropping on this conversation and thinking, you know what? I really need to be part of this podcast. You're talking about cats. I hear it. Her ears were like literally ringing. She knew we were talking about her. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is so funny. I love it so much. Um, so, okay, we talked a little bit about like traditions and, and time spent and how all of that really impacts your wedding day. And it, it impacts the flow of the day. It also impacts the pricing for photography. Um, how are, what are some of the ways that couples can save on photography during their wedding? So if they, you know, they want to have all the traditions um, or, or maybe they don't care if there's a cake cutting, um, what are some of the things that they can modify about about their package or their pricing or their time in order to save a little bit on their budget? So one of the things is definitely to cut down the number of hours of coverage. And to do that, it's choosing either what you're not going to have photographed or what traditions you maybe just aren't going to partake in altogether. So that's one of those ways that you can do it. If you just really don't care at all about those getting ready things, you just want to start at the ceremony, you maybe save two hours there, right, that you can carve off your collection. Or maybe you get through the ceremony and through portraits and getting ready and you decide, you know what, we're going to do our first dance with friends and like have dinner and we're going to do this whole thing later, but we just don't care about you capturing the reception stuff. So it's fine if you're just here for getting ready through the ceremony or, you know, I had a couple actually that decided really just two hours of coverage. And I was a little skeptical. I was like, two hours is not very much time, but they were really, really crystal clear on having, it was a micro wedding. It was really just six people plus them, immediate family. They had one table set up and ready to be photographed just for some quick details when I arrived. They got married in a 15-minute ceremony. We did portraits. We did family portraits and couples portraits. We even went to a second location, and that was it. They did, a, they did a quick toast as well, but we, you know, it was exactly two hours. It wasn't rushed at all because they had we'd really thought through exactly what they wanted, and what they wanted was just some basic things that caught the, the big emotional moments and then documented some portraits and they didn't care at all about dinner. There were not going to be any toasts. Like they weren't worried about that because it was just family and an intimate thing. So two hours worked great because they knew ceremony and portraits were really the only thing on the list that they wanted. So that's one way for sure. And then the other would just be with an intimate wedding like that and micro wedding in particular, I think you can get away with just one photographer and sometimes there's a benefit in a micro wedding to only having one because for example, that crew of eight people total or 10 people total, two of us there, that's that ratio is kind of intense actually. Yeah. So just me was plenty for documenting some of the interactions and some of those moments that were happening between people throughout that time. Um, and two can feel intrusive or a, a little bit much sometimes. And having not having a second photographer is also a great way to sa- to save on that micro wedding, um, you know, investment that you might make. I wouldn't personally recommend it for weddings over fifty people. I think having a second photographer there for that more traditionally sized wedding, 50 plus, 75 plus is important for fully telling the story of the day and capturing the candid moments, the guest 
the, your guests as well as the couple and the main portraits, right? To really round out your portfolio. I think you want two people there, but for micro weddings, it's a great opportunity to save money. I agree. Um, and I think, you know, with, um, I think sometimes it's hard to know what it means as a client um, or a couple getting married, what a second photographer actually looks like on your wedding day. So talking, you know, traditional wedding, 50 plus people, um, why might you want, I, I, I know you said to round out your portfolio, but what does that actually look like? Because I know you can't be everywhere at once as just the one photographer. Um, so in terms of traditional wedding, like why would you maybe want a second photographer? Yeah, I love that question. Because again, I was just jumping into something, round out your portfolio. Like, what's that even mean? <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> Happy to clarify. It starts with getting ready, where I would typically show up with, you know, the bride and my second would be able to then go to the groom or partner one and partner two. And you get coverage of getting ready in those moments for both of the partners in that relationship before they have their first look or say, I do. And then from there, you have this opportunity for multiple perspectives on the major events. So during that first look, you're going to have somebody who has a different angle. And I like to always have my second do a complimentary focal length, meaning if I'm getting nice and close and tight, they're going to get those wider scene setters that take in more of the scenery and are full length and give some space. So you're getting two really unique perspectives on the same moments that are happening, those big emotional moments. Throughout the ceremony, same thing. I plant myself usually at the center aisle, especially for those faster ones that I know I don't want to miss that first kiss, right? All those things. But a second can go in and get some tight shots on an angle of each person saying their vows or receiving those vows, those kinds of things. Can get the guest shots of the parents and the grandparents and the and the guests in the pews or in the rows, you know, of seating, reacting, cheering, crying, like happy tears, all the emotion. That's what I love to be able to see. And it goes beyond the couple. So having that second during the ceremony is super important. Um, and I agree. Right? I, yes. And even if you only have this, I do this a lot with mine. Um, even if you only have the second for a chunk of the day, you know, starting with getting ready into um, potentially into like cocktail hour if you're doing your posed photos during cocktail hour. Because if your photographer is photographing posed photos during that time, this should go without saying, but it might need to be said. Um, no one is capturing cocktail hour. Yes, yes, so, exactly. You know, then you've got your your potential for your first look. Um, you're getting ready for each of the the couples. Um, the potentially for the wedding party photos leading up to save you some time after into the cocktail hour, um, potentially for your first look, and then um, for the ceremony so you can get guest reactions and you know both persons' perspectives, um, and and then into cocktail hour where you get the pose photos, but then you also get cocktail hour coverage. Um, so then you know if you let that person, that additional photographer, go at the start of the reception, that's still, I mean, that'll still save you a little bit on your photography investment because you're, you know, it's fewer hours for and fewer photos to go through and edit and retouch and all the things. Um, if you are eliminating that reception piece, but you're still getting, you're still rounding out that portfolio, so you really have the story the full story of the day. 
Yes, yes, I completely agree. And the only other place I would say I like to keep through is through dinner with first, usually it's intros into first dance. That happens a lot for me, like right after cocktail hour. So being able to have like the crowd reaction for those first dance photos and then through toasts, I actually really like it. You can definitely do it, especially with people who give longer toasts, which that's yes. another episode on keeping your toast short and sweet, but that's, <laughs> yep. um, but you get those longer toasts and you do have a chance to really get guest reactions to that and, and all of that as well. But it can be really nice to have that second there through those things to really just be focusing purely on guests as you're getting the person giving the toast and the couple who's listening in on that and all the emotions that go with that. Yeah. And I think toasts are kind of an underrated series of photos um, because they're they're some of the – outside of the ceremony, they're really the only piece where everyone's really tuned in and paying attention and fully engaged, which means you're getting a lot of really great guest reactions. And I mean, as a couple, you want – I know that this is an impossible ask, but it's a great thing if you can get photos of every guest that's there, just even like in a larger group format, right? So like if you have photos during the toast of guest reactions, you're going to get a lot more guests involved. Um, and there's some really fun photos there. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And there are moments that people will be able to remember back to in some ways as well, because something funny or something really emotional and poignant was said, or something really sweet was said. And you'll see those reactions as you go through the gallery and be like, oh, I remember that joke they cracked there. Or, you know, it really can bring you right back into the moment and to see how your guests are reacting through it. But I totally agree with you. It's one of the best opportunities to get great guest shots. Yeah. Because it's not the time when, like during the cake cutting, you know, people are going to be like, okay, I'm just going to sneak off to the bar really fast and grab some drinks. Does anybody need anything? Or same with first dance. You're going to get a lot of people who sneak away during that time. So it's one of the, you know, it, it's interesting because I don't think I thought about it at all for my personal wedding, but it's... um a lot of the photographers that I work with that I, you know, that are on my team, that's their favorite time to photograph because they just love all the guest reactions. And I, it has made me really realize that that was kind of a hole in what I had planned for my own wedding and that I never thought about it, but it had, it became something that's been really important to me as a professional. I love that. Yeah, no, I share that as well for sure. That's so funny. What are your – I know I didn't prep you for this question, but I'm still going to ask. Um, what are some of your favorite moments to photograph at an actual wedding? Oh, I feel like I get into trouble because I want to say all of them. And I said that as a teacher too. I'd always be like, oh my gosh, guys, we're starting a new unit today and it's my favorite one. And they'd be like, miss, you're talking about – you say that every time. <laughs> Guilty as charged. Um, I, I love the days so much. I think – Moments between parents and children are some of my favorite. So whether it's in a reveal or it's those getting ready pieces where, you know, a mom is helping their daughter get ready or helping their son get ready, those kinds of things. I love that. And um, I love when couples write their own vows, which if you don't want to write your own, no shade. I did not, we didn't write ours either. I was too scared to say them in front of everyone. I think that's a bonus of a micro wedding. It's intimate. It's a little less scary. Definitely write your own vows. But I love 
those times, because especially when they're written by the couple, a lot of the personality comes out and they're really emotional uh, moments that happen because of that, because they're really just pulling on each other's heartstrings and you see the love that's there. So those are probably two of those big moments for me that I, I really, really love. Uh, it comes down to the emotion. I mean, that's why that's why I do it, right? That's why we do it. It's all about the emotion and the the love that's there. And you're with people on their happiest days. And so that's, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of moments that it could be, but those are two of my favorites. I so, so agree. Um, it You just took me back through like flashes of, of weddings that I photographed and I have like pictures that I was imagining as you were talking about it. And now I'm going to need to like really go through your... Um, your Instagram and like look through and be like, oh my gosh, this was one of those moments. Right? <laughs> no, yeah, you'll definitely see those in there for sure. <laughs> I love it because it's not just about, you know, those like perfect posed photos of the couple. I know that's part of, you know, that's a big piece of it. But, um, you know, for me, like looking back at my wedding, it was my my parents holding hands um, while we were getting married, um, and and like exchanging a look um, while you know we were saying our vows. Um, those moments were really special to have documented, and I wouldn't have expected it. I didn't plan for it because I only really thought about like the classic stuff that. You know, everybody can. And I say that as a photographer. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I mean, I, some of my favorite photos from my wedding are those moments I just described. There's one of my mom giving, I'm all, I just was like finished, you know, with the whole getting ready process. And she's got her hands on my shoulders and she's giving me a kiss on the forehead. And it's one of my favorite moments from the day uh, to have, which you just, you know, couldn't have, couldn't have asked for it you know, because I didn't know it was going to happen. It was just one of those genuine moments that happened. It's one of my favorite photos of us from the day. Oh, that's so sweet. Oh my gosh. Um, well, I have my last, well, I guess my last official question for you is, um, is there any other advice that you could offer for couples who are planning a micro wedding? Ooh, that's a good one. Really, I think it just comes down to treating it like any other wedding and not expecting um, to have savings in a certain area or to, you know, have corners that you can cut. Like you really still need to come down to what's most important to you as a couple. Like I would say this to anyone. And I think it stays really true for people who are planning a micro wedding and it can kind of get forgotten with that small guest count. But you're planning this really intimate, lovely celebration, but you you really want to then make sure that it feels like who you are as a couple and that you're making choices based on what you value most in your day. So, you know, it's great to be educated and to know this stuff. And hopefully this was helpful for people as they're thinking about their budgets. Um, but there's always going to be places you can spend and places you can save. And I think get the information, educate yourselves, but then it comes down to staying true to who you are. Like don't get sucked into the Pinterest game and don't feel like because it's small, you have to go over the top because it's small. You have to do X. Like you don't have to do anything. It's still your day. Make it unique. <laughs> Trust your gut um, and do what, do what you value. Invest in what you value. That would be my advice. <laughs> I could not have said that better myself. That was just absolute perfection. 
Thanks. Yeah. I hope, I hope, I feel like we get so caught up in the whole industry of being like all the pretty things and all the Pinterest and all the inspiration and all the moments um, that I think it's really important to just remember that it's really about the couple and whatever they do that feels like them, it's going to be, that's what's going to be right. I, so I could not agree more. That was perfectly put. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for being with me today on The Wedding Dish. I so appreciate you sharing your expertise and your insight. Um, where can people find you online? I am at lynnresnickphotography.com, and we can probably link in the show notes because it's Lynn with an E and Resnick with a Z. It throws everybody off. It's a double whammy. But that's where I am. And then on Instagram, I'm at lynnresnickphoto. Perfect. And we will absolutely link in the show notes and the description. So it'll be easy peasy for you all to just swing on over and follow Lynn. And while you're doing that, you can find us on Instagram at The Wedding Dish Podcast. And you can find our show notes over at theweddingdishpodcast.com. We'll have transcripts from this episode. You can um, get all of the details, including some of the behind the scenes things that we didn't talk about on the pod- the podcast from Lynn um, and, and all kinds of great details. And um, don't forget to tune in next week. I have another awesome guest, tons of great info. This season is so much fun. I'm really excited for it. We've got a really unique um, spread of guests here, obviously, starting with Lynn. Um, And if you like the podcast, go ahead and give us a follow, rate, and review on your favorite podcasting app. And until next time, cheers, everybody.